Welcome to the Christian Bay Era. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Football Unscripted right here on the Pit Talk Network, part of the Fans First Sports Network. I am your host, Corey Cohen, and with me, I have Jim Hammett of Panther Lair. We used to podcast together back in the Cardiac Hill days. He's now with Panther Lair, a uh, phenomenal resource for Pit fans everywhere. Jim, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Yeah, of course, Corey, anytime. And uh, yeah, at least uh, we have something positive to talk about. It hasn't been like that most of the year. Finally, we have something positive because you were last on the podcast in our preseason episode talking about what we expected from this team. I believe I thought this was an eight and four win team. I think you said nine and three. Everyone was basically in that zone. And boy, were we wrong. This season did not get off to a good start. They won the first game over Wofford, then lost four in a row against Cincinnati, West Virginia, North Carolina, and Virginia Tech. They go into a bye week. Pat Narduzzi makes the decision to bench Phil Jerkovic as quarterback and start Christian Vair. And everyone was waiting for it. Everyone was calling for it. It was highly anticipated. And we saw a lot in this game. Christian Vair got the start at quarterback. And the Panthers won. The Panthers took down undefeated Louisville, 14th ranked undefeated Louisville by a score of 38 to 21. The exact score that the Panthers lost the game prior to Virginia Tech by. And so a big turnaround for this pit football team desperately needed. So we're, we're going to talk about the defense, which was incredible. We're going to talk about the coaching offense, defense, all of that. But we have to start with the change that was made, which is at quarterback, Phil Dracovic out. Christian Vare in. We did see him for a half against North Carolina, but this was the first time we got to see him for a full game. And we can go into details, but Jim, what was your overall reaction of how Christian Vare played in his first game as a starter for the Panthers? I thought he did all right. I thought he had some good moments. I thought he had some big throws. Um, I, I, th- I think the most important thing he did was protect the football. I, I, I don't think he took too many risks. Um, you know, the throws he missed, they were, you know, to the outside. They weren't they weren't risky throws that Phil Dracovic was making. I mean, I think that was the biggest thing this team needed is they just needed average quarterback play because I don't I don't think he played great. I, I the numbers still aren't very good. I think Pitt as as a team only totaled 288 yards and 12 first downs. I mean, it was it still wasn't good, but it was good enough. And I think that's all they ever needed. I I I I think that kind of performance against Virginia Tech or West Virginia or even Cincinnati, I, I, I think might have been enough for them to win those games. I, I think all they ever needed was average quarterback play, and I think that's what Christian Veyer was able to do. I completely agree. I think if Christian Veyer had been starting from the jump, I think this team right now has one loss, and that's the loss to North Carolina. I think they beat Cincinnati, they beat West Virginia, and they beat Virginia Tech. It really, and that's not because I'm with you, Jim. That's not because I think Christian Veyer is a phenomenal quarterback at the moment. He could get to be one at the moment. I'm in agreement. He was good, but Phil Jakovic was actively harming this team with his play. And Christian Veyer played like a solid game manager, which ironically was Pat Arduzzi's at least public reasoning for why he kept Jokovic as long as he did he said well he's not losing us games in most of the cases he's not turning the ball over that was kind of the reasoning but Phil Jokovic was losing them games he was turning the ball over making risky plays or just throwing the ball to no one whereas Christian Vayer yeah it wasn't amazing but he was making just solid passes holding on to the ball moving the ball down the field 
And as you said, game manager, solid, whatever you want to call it, he was good enough to win this game. And I, as I said, I think he was good enough to beat Cincinnati and West Virginia and Virginia Tech. And so ultimately, and not to mention, he's younger. So Phil Jerkovic, there is no upside. Christian Vayer, this there's upside. So even though he's not amazing right now, he's good enough to be able to win you football games. And I think there are signs there that he could become a very good starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at the the last three games they lost. They scored four offensive touchdowns total. They didn't have any against West Virginia and two apiece against uh, North Carolina and Virginia Tech. He led them to four scoring drives on Saturday. I mean, that's that's kind of all they they really ever needed. So, I mean, I, I thought there was really some really good moments for him. I thought both touchdown passes looked really good. The one to uh, Mumfield, especially at the end, was yeah. just right on the money. But there was a time when he stepped up and found Gavin Bartholomew. There was that really good back shoulder pass to Kenny Johnson. And I think even another pass to Kenny Johnson. Then he had that nice little run that set up a touchdown. I mean, he did a lot of good things. And, uh, I mean, the offensive line – you know, through their faults, did a good enough job of keeping him upright. I mean, he was only sacked one time. So, I mean, I, they always talked about making the change when it when it felt right, when it made sense. And I, I mean, I think looking back on it now, whenever you know Pat Narduzzi was asked about making a change, he always wanted to be like, you know, it's we got to the timing has to be right. And I, I think the bye week played a role in it. It gave Christian, you know, more time. And it, it showed. I mean, I think there was a, a better comfort level. It looked like he, you know, even with Bub Means, like he was using him. I mean, there was, there was like a connection there that just didn't seem to be there with uh, the prior quarterback. Absolutely. And it's, it was interesting. So the game started and out of the gate, I think fans were kind of worried because we did see Christian Bayer again in that second half and a little bit in the first half against North Carolina. And he didn't look much better any better than Phil Jerkovic you could say in that one particular game and then he comes out in this game against Louisville and he kind of looked the same he in his first couple passes they were off target just like Jerkovic's were like well off target he was 0 for 5 in his first five passing attempts and this very early on in the game was looking like Oh boy, I guess there was a reason why Jakovic was starting. He apparently was the best quarterback on the roster. And I think people were maybe a little bit nervous, but then he settled in. And you can see what happens when a young quarterback making his first start for a team is able to settle in. The first three drives all resulted in punts. And then once he settled in, we saw the 46-yard the, the touchdown pass to Bub Means. Not a perfect throw necessarily, but it was a good throw. He found the end zone. And it provided a spark. It got the offense going. In the second quarter, there was a 71-yard drive that took up a decent amount of clock. Uh, there was that, as you mentioned, a 34-yard pass to Kenny Johnson that was a huge play. It looked really good. Uh, and and there were just, as you said, the, the play in the fourth quarter on fourth down when they essentially went for the dagger and he threw that phenomenal touchdown to Mumfield. There were good play, very good plays, I should say, sprinkled in there. And in between those, just solid plays. He would scramble, as as you mentioned, to get a first down, keep a drive going. He would pass five, six yards at a time, find an open receiver, just move the chains. And at least at the moment, he doesn't have to be amazing. Now, in his final year of eligibility in a couple of years, if everything goes to plan and Pitt is trying to win another ACC championship, then yeah, maybe he'll have to be at that level. But right now, he doesn't have to be, nor would anyone expect him to be. 
this to me reminds me so much of Kenny Pickett when he first started playing against Miami. Not, I'm not saying that Christian Bayer is going to be Kenny Pickett, but just you put in a quarterback in a year that was struggling. Now, when Pickett went in, in 2017, it was later in the season. But you had trouble at the quarterback position. This backup comes in who's young, who's going to have time to grow in the program. And he doesn't need to be incredible, but he shows promise. And he shows heart and tenacity and shows you something that they can work with. And I think that seems to be the bright spot if you're if you're following Pitt. Yeah, I mean, I, I think even going back to Saturday, you, you mentioned that he started the game 05. But once he had that pass, the means his whole body language changed. Yep. It, it, it kind of just seemed like he was like, all right that I, I can do this. And he even mentioned that in the, in the post-game press conference, he kind of said that like, that throw made me feel comfortable. Like I, I felt like I was playing at that point. So, I mean, it, that's good. You want to see tangible uh, strides make made every drive, every play, every game. And I think if he can do that, uh, you know, I, I still don't think this season's going anywhere particularly great, but like, at least it's a storyline to watch. I mean, these next six games are huge just for him. And, Really, you know, just the outlook of next year's team. I mean, if if he can at least show something, then you're at least excited about next year rather than, you know, going into the offseason with a big question mark at quarterback. Right. And that that's why I was so insistent that they do make the change to Christian Baird to see what they have because Phil Jerkovic didn't have upside and he he didn't have a future. Very literally, this is his final year of eligibility. Whereas Christian Bayer can be with this program for another couple of years. And so if for nothing else, whether it was after Cincinnati, after West Virginia, and then of course after Virginia Tech when they or after North Carolina and then after Virginia Tech when they made the change, it was this season is gone. I I forget which game I said that. It might have been after West Virginia, might have been after North Carolina, might have been after Virginia Tech. Probably was after all three that this team is almost definitely not making a bowl game. This season is is a wash for all intents and purposes. That doesn't mean there's not still things that you can get out of it, but in terms of we're just trying to rack up wins so we can make a bowl game. No, don't worry about that. This season you're not going to accomplish that much. So just focus on developing the program so you can get back on track next year. And to me, that's why it made no sense, and it confounded me why Djokovic was still playing. But for Veyer, even if he wasn't as good as he was on Saturday, even if he still struggled, I still think it would be the right call to play him because he can grow into that role and he can become a, a system quarterback for the Panthers. But on top of that, he actually did look like there's a lot there to work with. And so because of all of that, I do think, yeah, now there's at least a bright spot, even if not necessarily for this season in terms of making a bowl game or accomplishing too much. There's a bright spot for this program where now there's something you can look forward to each week to see how he's going to develop and then something to look forward to all offseason into next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what he showed on Saturday is that he does have a strong arm. I mean, some of those throws, they were really coming in there. I mean, that's they were. Phil Jerkovic just did not have the same zip on those passes. So, I, I mean, I, I think that's that alone, it, it kind of reminds you that he was a big-time recruit. He had, like, 20 Power 5 offers. Uh, he was a four-star, I think. And, you know, Penn, you know, Pitt recruited him initially. He ended up at Penn State. But he had offers from everywhere. So, I mean, he, he is a talented guy. I think we do need to remember that. So, I, I think there is a lot of upside there, and he shows that. So, and, and, and just, like, another thing that, you know, 
came out on Monday is whenever Pitt released the depth chart, which yeah, I, I know you can't really always rely on a Pitt depth chart, but Nate Yarnell was listed as the number two and not Phil Dracovic. So, I, I mean, I think if Christian struggles, I don't think they're going to default back to Phil just because. I mean, I think you this whole, you know, next six games – or about is about just finding who the quarterback is. It's it might not necessarily be Vayer. He might struggle at one of these points, and they might have to turn to Yarnell, and he might look better. So right now it's Vayer. I think he showed a lot, but I, I still think that's notable. I mean, if if he struggles, it's going to be Yarnell and not Dracovic. So they are kind of having an eye on the future with these last six games. Yeah, it does seem like somewhere in the bye week, Pat Narduzzi's mindset changed to be what. I mentioned what you kind of mentioned, what a lot of people were mentioning for a couple weeks at this point, which is that this season is is already gone, essentially. And you're really just looking to what can we build off of to go into next year and get fully back on track to where we're one of the top teams in the ACC. Because, yeah, losing to Cincinnati, okay, it was bad, but it was non-conference. Losing to West Virginia, really bad, but non-conference. Losing to North Carolina, bad, but okay, they're a great team. And then once you lost to Virginia Tech, it was so clear to everyone, to the point that it would have been inexcusable if there wasn't a change after that. I can at least see why Narduzzi decided to keep Dracovic as long as he did. I still, I think, would have made the change at the latest, maybe halftime against Virginia Tech. But okay, I can kind of see it. But after Virginia Tech, there was no doubt in anyone's mind this team is not competitive this season. So now you've got to try. And I personally, I believe more in Veyer than I do Yarnell, but I'm fine with, hey, let's see. Let's let's put them both in and, and see what happens. I mean, we saw we even with great coaches and great programs, you see that. Alabama was doing that earlier this year. You just kind of throw stuff up against the wall and see what sticks. So I'm certainly not opposed to Yarnell getting snaps. The only one that I was opposed to was is Jerkovic. And as you said, as of recording, the depth chart just came out. He is now the third string quarterback. Doesn't look like he's going to be getting any more time at quarterback. We don't know if he'll get time at tight end. Of course, that was the reporting. You know, Pat Narduzzi denied it. And who knows what the plan is there. But it seems like it's not, oh, they made a change. But Dracovic, no, Dracovic's done. This is entirely looking forward to next year. And they've got an option that looked pretty good in Vayer. They've got an option that looked decent last year against Western Michigan and Yarnell. And they're going to see. But finally, there is some reason to be optimistic. And as you said, a storyline to watch as opposed to a sixth-year quarterback who has no eligibility still starting for a season that's effectively done anyway. Yeah, and, and you know, we're, we're talking about the future. But, you know, Pat Narduzzi even said it last week. It's like, we're still trying to win games this year. And it was still clear that Bayer gives them a better chance to win games this yeah. year. I mean, they just upset a top 25 team undefeated. So, well, I don't think they're going to go to a bowl. I mean, like. Syracuse stinks, Boston College stinks, Wake Forest stinks. I mean, there, there's games ahead of them they can still win. Um, you know, Florida State, Duke, and Notre Dame all look very tough, but, like, the other three are winnable. And, you know, even if you don't get a bowl game, win a couple more games, and it gives you confidence to next year. I mean, I, I, I even think, you know, way back whenever Pitt upset uh, West Virginia, the 13-9 game, that team was five and seven, but like they went into the next year with a lot of momentum. I think they lost to Bowling Green, but they won nine games. It was like, you could at least see it's like, okay, like this team, there's potential. And so I think you want to see if you could develop that here. I mean, there's still, you know, even beyond the air. I mean, see what Kenny Johnson can do. I mean, Ryan Bears, a freshman right tackle starting. I mean, 
they're playing some freshman linebackers and there, there's a lot of pieces on the team this year that are going to be big roles next year. So yeah, I mean, everyone's going to pay attention to the quarterback, but there's, there's all, there's all kinds of those stories like all across the depth chart. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about the schedule, what to look forward to coming up in just a bit. Uh, let's talk about uh, the, we'll talk about the coaching specifically on offense, and then we'll get into the defense and some of those players that you were talking about that have, that have stepped up in terms of the offensive game plan. There's been a lot of talk on this podcast, other podcasts on Panther layer, all of that about Frank Signetti this year. Many fans were blaming him for the lack of offense and they're not wrong in that the offense was fundamentally broken up until this game, the first five weeks, five games of the season something was just not clicking with that offense. As you said, four touchdowns in the, the previous games and it just, it was not there. And so you come out here, there's a new quarterback and Signetti seemed to put there in a better position to succeed than, than we, we saw for Jerkovic. Now we don't know exactly. Is that just, talent level is that you can only do so much based on Dracovic's, you know, arm that was losing power, losing zip and all that decision-making. There's only so much that a coach and offensive coordinator could do, but unlike the games where Dracovic was playing, where even knowing his limited skill set, you thought surely there has to be a better way to design an offensive game plan around him than what they were doing in this game. It seemed like it was designed well, around a first-time starting quarterback in Bayer. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought for the most part, Frank Signetti called a pretty good game. Even some of the plays that didn't work, they were there. I think, you know, he just missed on some throws. And I, I, I mean, I think you expect that with a first-time starter. But I thought it was a well-called game. I thought it, there was a lot of schemes and good things there. They struggled to run the ball, but obviously Louisville was trying to take that away. They knew Pitt had a first-time starter. They're going to load the box. And of course, you know, Pitt's line is what it is right now. So that, that was just always going to be tough to do. So when you don't have the benefit of a running game and you have this first time starter, you have to be a little creative in you know, what you can do and what you can trust. And I thought they did a lot of good things. I mean, it was the first time all year we really saw Bub Means just be a normal wide receiver. You know, he, he went across the middle. They did like uh, some hot routes to him. It wasn't just like a all right, here you go, run 50 yards down the field. We'll see if we can connect on it. So they, they did some things. I mean, I'd still like to see them get Gavin Bartholomew involved a little bit more. I think Kanate Mumfield should have been targeted more, uh, Kenny Johnson. But, like, they still did just enough, and it, it at least shows that Veyers has the ability to get the ball to these weapons. And I, I think they, they can do a little bit more of that, you know, each and every week. I think they can add more try some more things. So I, I think that's a big, big thing to watch against Wake Forest. Yeah. The, the receiving core has a lot of talent and we just hadn't seen it in those first five games. Now, again, part of that is the quarterback. Part of that's the offensive coordinator. Part of that is the receiving room and the players. So there's, there's a lot to go around and you can't necessarily pinpoint it, but it was pretty drastic how we went from see, seeing games in which Jerkovic was rarely getting the ball to Means or Mumfield or even Bartholomew. And if they did, it was like maybe two receptions a game. And those receptions oftentimes were good receptions for a lot of yards, and they just didn't go back to him. And in this case, they really got to spread the ball around, including, as you mentioned, Kenny Johnson. And so you ended up having players. Means, four receptions, 71 yards. 
Johnson, two receptions, 49 yards. Mumfield, three receptions, 39 yards. Bartholomew, two for 33. And as you said, there can still be more, but it was nice to be reminded of all the talent that they have at the wide receiver and tight end positions that when it comes together, that's actually there. And, and I do give credit to Frank Signetti, who, again, those first five weeks, really, I'll, I'll talk about the four weeks against FBS teams because it's tough to say about Wofford. But certainly in those first uh, four FBS games, they did not look like an offense that had much going on. And Signetti didn't really seem to know how to, to strategize to the best of his ability, get the ball to these really talented players. In this game, they did. They got the ball to the players. And they let them they let them work. And so ultimately, I, I've got to give personally, I've got to give a lot of props to Frank Signetti for this one particular game because maybe it's a low bar, but because the offense was so bad in the weeks prior that seeing just a solid, capable offense was a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if that did enough to like save his job. I mean, I think he would like need Christian Bayer to go on like a huge run here down the stretch to probably do that. I mean, yeah. Pitt's offense is still ranked 124th in the country out of 133 teams. I mean, yeah, it's not great. And, you know, looking back to, you know, Sean Watson, when he was fired in 2018, I think Pitt's offense was 98th. So if 98th wasn't good enough to save his job, then 124th is not very good. So, again, Pitt really is going to have to go on a run to, like, you know, keep the same operation going. But I I also think, you know, just, you know, this is way ahead and I – they, they do need a probably a revamp look on offense uh, just that, you know, beyond the coordinator. I mean, I, I, I think they, they have some veteran coaches and I think they could probably go in a different direction in, in some cases. So we'll see, you know, that's a discussion for like December. I mean, we're still just trying to, fi- <laughs> we're still just trying to figure out if this team can win a couple more games before the end of the season, but the offense showed signs of life. It hasn't been very good. It still wasn't great, but it, it, at least it did enough to win a game. I mean, four touchdown drives in one game, as opposed to four over the previous three games. I mean, it's, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it just was so clear that the offense was simply not doing enough, not doing what an offense at this level of competition needs to be able to do to win football games. You're not going to be able to win many football games. Your offense is putting up the numbers that it did in this game. When you have a defense like Pitt does, you can get by with a solid offense and win some games as we just saw. So I do give credit, as you said, still going to be a tough situation for Frank Signetti. If this is in fact a losing season, that tends to be what happens. It's just not good enough. There's got to be some change going into next year. And and again, the offense is a pretty obvious one, but there is at least something to be optimistic about. And even if it's not Signetti next year, but you just see the talent being able to be on display. And then that gives you more confidence in the players that you have. So I do think ultimately, yeah, they probably would make a change. If for nothing else, people are going to have questions and, and demand change after a losing season. And it is certainly shaping up that this is still probably going to be one, although it's not definite anymore. Again, we'll talk about that in just a bit. Let's talk about the defense because the defense had a great game. This was like patented Pat Narduzzi, Randy Bates, Pitt Panthers defense. There was in the second quarter, there was a forced fumble when Louisville was in the red zone of Pitt. The ball was at the 15 yard line of the Panthers and uh, there was a forced fumble. Plummer dropped it. 
now they did allow a late touchdown drive at the very end of the second quarter. What probably should have been a 14, 14 game at the half was 21 to 14 Louisville because the Cardinals moved all the way down the field in 58 seconds to score a touchdown before the half. But then out of halftime, second half, the pit defense looked phenomenal. Uh, right. The very first drive of the half, Louisville went for it on fourth and one Pitt got the stop, put the offense in great field position later in the third quarter. MJ Devonshire had the pick six 86 yard return. It was phenomenal. Louisville gets the ball back. The next drive, AJ Woods has the interception. Now that was because it sort of bounced off the hands of, of Louisville wide receiver, Jimmy Calloway, but still another interception back-to-back drives. Uh, in the fourth quarter, Pitt's defense had three straight turno- turnovers on downs. I mean, this was a phenomenal defense that prevented Louisville from making plays in big moments on those fourth down conversions. And they made some huge plays when they counted, talking about those interceptions and the forced fumbles. This defense, I'm trying to think, maybe for might be for the first time this year, really stepped up and looked like, I think, what a lot of us were expecting this defense to look like. Yeah, I mean they they were great after halftime. I knew that they held that Louisville team score, scoreless, and Louisville has a lot of weapons, and they you know they still posted a lot of yards. There's still a little bend don't break to this defense, but I mean that's kind of how this how it's always been. I mean they, they're I've always said they're a big play defense. They you know make big plays and give up big plays, but and we saw a little bit of that. But you know they they generated three turnovers. They got four sacks. They were great. They were they held them to 0 of four on fourth downs. I mean they made the plays when they needed to make them. And, you know, they overcame some things. I mean, I thought some of the penalties called against them, like the one against PJ O'Brien, like that was a tough call. I mean, it's easy to pack it in after, you know, you're losing, then they, you get a bad flag. And that's when things start to spiral out of control. And they didn't let that happen today. They didn't let one flag turn into two, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it was a resilient effort. I mean, it, it, it looked good. I mean, they got, Great play from their linebackers. I think Kamara, uh, DeShields, and uh, Simon all made plays. I, I, you know, Devonshire Woods got interceptions. I mean, it's great to see a guy like Sammy Oakland Lola like come up with a huge play. I mean, he's a freshman. I mean, that defensive line is so se- senior oriented. That's like kind of the one position on this whole roster where it's kind of log jammed with seniors. So it's great to see a freshman make a play. And I, I think he's going to be one of their building blocks moving forward. So yeah, it was a good performance. It's it was like you said, it was kind of patented. I mean, like they, they kind of, you know, you want to pull your hair out sometimes watching them play defense, but like at the end of the game, like they always give you a chance to win. And that's, that's kind of what Pat Narduzzi's defense does. And I mean, I, I still think there's an element that the offense can help them. I mean, I look at the plays, I mean, Louisville ran 85 plays and, you know, Pitt ran 59. I mean, Pitt only had 12 first downs. If Pitt could stay on the field, that only helps the defense moving forward. I mean, I, I think they they did a great job of holding up, but that's asking a lot. 85 plays is a long time to be on the field. So if the offense can improve, I think that helps the defense, and then the whole team's better. Yeah, without a doubt. I think that offense, it, it is cyclical. That offense getting better would help the defense. And as you said, they make big plays, and they put Pitt in a position where they can win football games and so for that defense I think the defense there was never there were mistakes but there was never as huge an alarm as there was with the offense this always for this season seemed to be yeah they're struggling but it's going to take guys to gel and it's going to take a little bit of time and now it's been a little bit of time they're halfway through the season and it really looks like they're starting to gel so even though it seemed like maybe there was some doubt when it came to 
do Narduzzi and Bates still have it when it comes to putting together a defense? It seems very much like they still do. Uh, I mean, that second half was absolutely phenomenal. Looking at the drives, the Louisville offensive drives in the second half, this is what Pitt's defense forced. A turnover on downs, a punt, an interception, an interception, a missed field goal, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. You can't do much better than that in a half of football that Pitt's defense was able to do down the stretch in that second half against Louisville. They played phenomenally well against a team that, as you said, has a lot of talent. Yeah, and I, I really think that turnover on downs, that first one, the first drive of the second half, I thought that was a real, t- uh, you know, tone setter. Because Louisville was pretty confident to, to go for it, uh, you know, around their own 30. I mean, they, they had no doubt they were getting that. And whenever Pitt kind of stood up to them, I, I, I think that kind of raised an eyebrow on their sideline. And I, it, it just gave Pitt momentum. They started flying to the ball a little bit more. And it, I, again, Louisville never crossed the 20-yard line. I mean, they, they never got to the red zone. They never really had a good scoring chance. The only one they had is, you know, when Devonshire made his play. So I, I don't know. I, I it comes and goes with this defense. It's kind of been that way all year, but we kind of expected it. I, I think a lot of people thought that, you know, this is a young defense. They'll struggle at first, and by the end of the year, they'll be pretty good, and I still think they're on track to do that. Completely agree. I mean, so based on what you're thinking, would it be fair to say you don't think this is a one-off, this is one good week? This is the kind of defense that we should be expecting moving forward through the rest of the year. Save to say maybe – Things obviously are a little bit difficult against particularly Florida State, uh, maybe also uh, Notre Dame, depending on which Sam Hartman we see in that game. Uh, Duke, more of a defensive team. But in general, is this more like the defense that you think moving forward this season we'll see from the Panthers? Yeah. I mean, I, I even think before this, they've had good moments. I think that, you know, I mean, they really held, they had West Virginia at what, like 211 yards against them and they yeah. still, they still lost. So that kind of just speaks more to the offense, but yeah, I, I think they're capable of doing it. I, they don't have the star power they had last year. I mean, they have a lot of good like program guys, like uh, you have David Green, Devin Daniels, and just solid players. You know, they don't have that Kalaja Kansi. They don't have a Servassier Dennis, but they have good players. And a lot of these guys were on the field those past two seasons. A lot of these guys were a big part of the, you know, the 20 wins, two top 25 finishes. So this, this group should have some pride and I think they're starting to play with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they're capable of having another good, good couple performances down the stretch. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think again, save for Florida state, maybe Notre Dame. I do think this defense will play well for the remainder of this season. Talking a little bit about star power, uh, MJ Devonshire, who had the 86 yard pick six, which was the longest for Panthers since 1997, recently just named uh, ACC defensive back of the week on top of the pick six. He had six tackles, five pass breakups. He certainly seems to be stepping into his role, especially as a big play playmaker. Yeah. I mean, that was his fourth touchdown of his career. He has three pick sixes and, uh, it was kind of cool for him, and, uh, you know, we talked about it in the post-game press conference, but Darrell Rivas was at the game. Uh, they they kind of did a little ceremony to honor him being in the NFL Hall of Fame, and, you know, they're both from Aliquippa. Like, he said he's always looked up to Darrell Rivas. He gets nervous whenever he has to play in front of him, so it, it was a cool moment for him to score there, and another thing he said in that press conference was he admitted he kind of got a little too high on himself in, in the preseason, you know, maybe just the team and him personally. And he, he's had some struggles. So I thought he battled that game. I mean, I, it was kind of, it was like, like we've been saying, it was just like a typical pit defensive game. 
Uh, the corners are getting called for pass interferences, but then they come back and make a play. I mean, it was just a dogfight back there. Louisville has good receivers. I mean, that wasn't an easy assignment either. So I thought he really battled and, you know, it was cool for him to get that interception in front of Revis. But I, I, I thought he played a really good game. Completely agree. He, he did really well and, and fully deserving of those ACC defensive uh, defensive back of the week honors. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break. We'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit about the blue vase, and then we'll talk about what we can expect to see from the Panthers moving forward the rest of this season. You're listening to Football Unscripted right here on the Pit Talk Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we are back uh, here on Football Unscripted. Uh, I am Corey Cohen. I'm joined by Jim Hammett of Panther Lair. Jim, there was some news earlier in this week that got the internet sort of poking fun, and then it seemed like the Panthers used it as a rallying cry, as a point of resiliency, as uh, an idol, whatever you want to call it. It just seemed like a way that this team banded together, which was this blue vase that... The original reporting was that players used it to put negative thoughts in, but as they explained it a little bit more, it seemed to be more of a, not an actual, like a suggestion box sort of a thing, but more of when players go into the practice facility, they sort of drop any negative thoughts that they have. They sort of leave everything, check it at the door, if you will, and, and go and focus on being their best selves is, from what you've gauged from this team, how they've explained it, it was a little bit confusing at first. Is that what you've understood it to be as well? Well, it, it's something that's been around the program, and it's not something that I was aware of. But like, they have all the their little uh, like mottos and slogans all around, and it, it, it it's called BAM by by any means. And uh, it's a story about a you know World War One veteran who lost a limb, and the blue vase represented of you know just something about him persevering and figuring out a way to do, you know, whatever is thrown at him. So it's something that's been around, but it's something that I've never seen personally. I mean, it's, I, I've seen the BAM thing. It's written on some of the walls and stuff like that, but I, I didn't know what it meant. I never saw the blue face. So I, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the guys that reported it, I don't think they were trying to do anything wrong. I think they just got bad information and relate it. And of course, uh, with the way the season was going, uh, it became a punchline. So whatever they said it was, that wasn't it, but it, it got portrayed that way. So yeah, the, the team wasn't too happy about it because it, it wasn't the meaning they always said it was. And so when Pat Narduzzi walked out of the post-game press conference, he had the vase with him and you know <laughs> stuck it right on the podium and said, here, here it is. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, they've used it before. It's just something we didn't know about and it just be kind of, it was a Wednesday afternoon and there was nothing else to talk about. And the story kind of blew up and I, you know, I feel bad for the guys that reported it. They're all friends. And I, I don't think they, they wanted it to become a national story, right. but you know, whatever. Yeah. They, as you said, I, they, I think they just got information, reported it. And that wasn't the, the, the information they got was not exactly how the 
team uses it or defines it. But what ended up happening was, yeah, okay, it became sort of a, an internet joke for a, a day or two there. And then this team seemed to use it in a way that brought them closer together and they rallied around each other and they rallied around the vase and it became sort of a symbol of people are laughing at us and people don't understand us and people are counting us out. And then when they go and they have this big win against uh, Louisville ranked 14th in the nation undefeated at six and zero, coming off a dominant win against Notre Dame pit wins. And now this is a symbol of defiance of triumph of overcoming the doubters or whatever you want to say, whatever, you know, bulletin board material that they can manufacture, which is, the people on the outside didn't believe in us. They mocked us, whatever. And as you said, he slams down the vase. This is this is a symbol for them. And Christian Veyer had the vase out there. And, and it just seemed like for these players, the coaches, the program, this went from within the span of, of a couple of days, this went from an internet laughing stock, if you will, into a point of pride. It almost reminds me of the mascot gritty, like the first 24 hours after he was released, everyone was laughing at him. And then he just becomes this rallying cry for the city of Philadelphia because people were insulting them, uh, him and, and the city and all this. And then it's like a rally around the flag sort of movement. And so it's pretty fascinating. This could become a thing for this program where the blue vase is now representative of this entire mindset mentality. I don't know if it's, if it's that big or not, but it's just funny that it went from, this small thing that was maybe part of it to now something that they're sort of parading around as part of their identity. And uh, I don't know if it has good juju or what, but it certainly is something that they viewed as important to display post game. And I think moving forward, this blue vase is, is going to be a thing. Yeah. I, I have no idea if they're going to, you know, make it a public thing again. I mean, like I said, it, it was always there. It was in the background. They just, it was a, there's only so many rooms like in the practice facility where like the media is allowed to go. So like, I don't think it was just ever in a room we were in. So I don't, I don't know. So I don't know if it's going to be like uh, they rub it in everyone's faces now that they have it. Like they did this past game. I think that was just kind of like, yeah, we saw the jokes. Well, tough luck. We won. Who's uh -huh. laughing now? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if it's going to be like a thing moving forward or is it something they're going to keep, you know, in the locker room? I mean, every football team has like some weird, like the lunch pail at Virginia Tech for many years. I mean, there's always things to motivate guys and they represent things. I, whatever. I mean, that's how football coaches are. I think basketball coaches are the same way. So, yeah, it's just – that's just Pitt's little thing. I guess it came from Michigan State. It was one of those things Narduzzi brought with them. So, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be this big, like, cultural Pitt icon or it was just a one-off. Like, yeah, we know about the Blue Bays and we won. I'm curious if because they won, if they keep it rolling and then all of a sudden it becomes like a shrine <laughs> and years from now, it's it's they're always they're parading the blue vase around. And that's a thing. I have no idea. As you said, it could very well be a one off. It's just funny that when stuff like this happens, you introduce something the team starts like the Miami football turnover chain. And it just it's when those things happen at the right moment, when the team wins a game or is winning multiple games, that it can come together and become a symbol. Uh, it was just a, a funny thing. Uh, before we go, let, let's talk about what's next. So coming up next for the Panthers, they've got Wake Forest on the road coming up this Saturday, 3.30 on the ACC Network. Wake is a, an interesting team. They don't seem to be very good, but they 
they were able to play a close game with Clemson on the road. They only lost 17 to 12, and that was just a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know. They lost to Virginia Tech this past weekend badly. 30 to 13 was the final score. A couple weeks prior to that, they lost to Georgia Tech 30 to 16. Their only wins coming against Elon, Vanderbilt, and Old Dominion. Does this where does this compare to you in say the Virginia Tech game in terms of level of competence you're expecting to see from the opponent and how likely it is you think Pitt could or maybe should win this game? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm at any point where I'm saying Pitt should win any game at this point. Uh, yeah, I need to see a, a little bit more than just one game, but it's winnable. There's no doubt about that. I mean, they they lost to Virginia Tech by 13. Pitt lost to Virginia Tech or 17 rather. Uh, they both lost by 17 points to the Hokies. So I guess, you know, transitive property, transitive they're property even. <laughs> they're even. So I don't, I don't know if that's a real thing, but uh, you know, that they're a solid program and I, they're missing their quarterback. I mean, they were so reliant on Sam Hartman these past couple of years, whenever he moved on, it's, I think it's just taking the, the new guy, uh, Griffiths a, a little bit longer. And I think they bounced around a little bit. They've had, they used two quarterbacks last week. So I, I think that's something to watch this weekend. And, I, I don't I, I mean I've been to Wake Forest I've been to Winston Salem before it's not like a tough environment it's the smallest stadium in the conference they're they're not really a rabid fan base so like I, I think you know that's a good first road start for Christian Vayer it's not like uh, sending him into a sold out Lane Stadium Saturday night like the last game would have been yeah. I mean this this is a much easier environment for him to uh, you know navigate so I think it's winnable I mean I I, I think they have a chance I mean I. It's hard to say, but I mean, it's you like this game more than uh, the the two that follow for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Coming up uh, after Wake Forest for the Panthers at Notre Dame and versus Florida State, so obviously those going to be a lot more difficult. Uh, so looking at this season, we talked about they're not really playing for this season. They are trying to win games, but they're really playing to develop players and to go into next season with, with higher expectations. What do you think is a realistic goal or an expectation for this team? Because looking at the schedule moving forward, they, at the moment, this team is two and four coming up. There's at Wake Forest versus uh, at Notre Dame versus Florida state at Syracuse neutral field at Yankee stadium versus Boston college on a Thursday night. And then at Duke to close out the season. Three of those teams are ranked in the top 16 at the moment. Notre Dame's 15, Florida State's four, Duke is 16. Uh, my initial thinking was, I think it's realistic that this team could get to five wins. And to me, that would be a really solid goal to have. Yeah, I mean, I think three and three down the stretch is definitely, I mean, Boston College is the one they definitely should have. Yeah, Like, I think that's the one game. And, you know, Narduzzi's record against Syracuse is great. I mean, he, I think he's only lost to him once. And same thing with Duke. I know Duke's great this year. I know they're ranked and they have a good quarterback, but Pitt beat him last year. And, and Duke has never really beaten Pitt that much since they joined the ACC. So until that can happen, you still want to see it happen. So, I mean, I think they have chances in those ones. And, I mean, Florida State, that, that looks like the toughest game to me. I mean, I, I don't really see how they have any chance in that one. And, you know, Notre Dame is – I mean that they just lost to Louisville. I mean they're they're probably it's a tough game, but they're not unbeatable. But again, this pit team, you know, that's hard to count on anything when you're only posting <laughs> 288 yards of offense. So I don't know. I mean I think they have chances to do some good things down the stretch. I mean Florida State's the one game I think they're definitely going to lose. I think Boston College needs to be a game they have to win. 
And the other four, I think, can at least be competitive. And, uh, you know, if they could win two, maybe three of those four big games, then that's a successful second half. I mean, last year they ended the year with five straight wins. So there is some precedent for this team to kind of find a stride late in the year. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think you don't want to get too far ahead. I mean, I think they can go into Saturday into Winston-Salem and feel some level of confidence. Yeah, I, I think obviously this game, if you're going to get to, say, five and seven, maybe even somehow get to bowl eligibility, you have to beat Wake Forest. So this is going to be a big game when it comes to that because it's all about winning those winnable games. That was what was so frustrating for me, seeing Phil Jerkovic still in there against a team like Virginia Tech, against – Cincinnati against West Virginia. Those are winnable games against North Carolina, which ironically he did play in, but that I was more okay with Dracovic starting because that game wasn't going to be won either way, almost certainly, but in those winnable games, you've got to get the wins where you can find them. And certainly wake forest is one of those where it's reasonable to expect that they could find a win there. I'm with you. I, I think Florida state is just not in the cards, but Outside of that, is it possible they beat Notre Dame? Yeah. I mean, transitive property, again, we just talked about it. Louisville beat Notre Dame handily, and then Pitt beat Louisville handily. So transitive property, Pitt's out on top. They're also above USC uh, <laughs> at the moment. So you'll you'll take that as well. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's tricky. I, I don't think they'll beat Notre Dame, but there's at least a chance. Syracuse at the moment looks like it could be a coin flip. Wake Forest, about a coin flip. Boston College, they probably should win. And Duke, a lot, I think, could come down to where Duke is at that point of the season. Because if they are still in the race to make it to the ACC championship game, they're going to be bringing their best effort. This is going to be at Wallace Wade Stadium down in Durham. It would be packed. It'd be a huge atmosphere, a real chance for that program. Because so far, they've not lost in the ACC. Granted, they've only played two ACC games. But they beat Clemson. They beat NC State. But coming up, they're about to play Florida State and then Louisville, and then they've got Wake Forest, and then North Carolina. So there's a very real chance that this team could be completely knocked out of the ACC race with two, maybe even three losses or more at that point. And Duke, the shine sort of comes off, and they sort of play down, and that game becomes winnable. So even though I do think Duke's a very good team, is six wins out of the question? I, I sound crazy to myself, but no, it's not out of the question to me. I think they can beat... Wake and Syracuse and Boston College and maybe even Duke. That said, I think a more realistic goal would be five and seven. And to me, the parallels with Kenny Pickett would go along with that. Kenny Pickett played in 2017. He came on late. That team finished five and seven. By by all accounts, it was a bad year. But because of how they finished, there was enough to take from that and move forward with momentum. They beat a very good team. They had a quarterback who looked pretty good. They got at least close to bowl eligibility. And then the next season they got better. And then of course we know the program kept getting better and they won the ACC. So to me, realistic goal is you get to five and seven. You've got something from Bayer. You take that, you move forward into next year and you have that be a better season. I think five and seven after everything, it would still obviously be frustrating. I think there would still have to be a coaching change made when it comes to an assistant or two, but there's at least something to go off of as opposed to a two or a three win season or maybe even four win season where now you're talking, it's still the worst season of this millennium for the Panthers.
Yeah, I mean, I, I think just going down the stretch here, I mean, like, again, like, Boyle eligibility, it's like, it'll, I'll worry about it when they're sitting on five wins. I mean, like, I right now, I mean, I think they just need to approach it week by week. I mean, they have a young football team. They can't, they can't get too far ahead. I mean, you have Christian Bayer and you need him to perform well this weekend. You have these, you know, two freshman offensive linemen. You have Kenny Johnson playing. I mean, you have a young team. So, I mean, I think they just need to attack each week as it is. I mean, it's like the Narduzzi cliche. Let's let's just go one and oh each week, but it's, it's a real thing. I mean, I think that that just needs to be the goal. It's you have Wake Forest. That's all you need to worry about. Do not even start thinking about Notre Dame. That shouldn't even be on anyone's mind right now. I mean, it's it's all Wake Forest, and I'll be interested to see how it goes. Completely agree, because as we said, the game is winnable, and this is a team that needs to win those games because there aren't going to be too many. Uh, they're, they're, they've already lost four games, and with Florida State, Notre Dame, maybe Duke coming up, they are not easy to come by. So big game this weekend, again, coming up. Uh, on Saturday at Wake Forest, 3.30 on the ACC Network. And uh, you can follow Jim for coverage of that. Jim, uh, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Please tell the listeners where they can find you, follow you, read your stuff. Yeah, you can always check us out at pantherlayer.com, panther-layer.com, pittsburgh.rivals.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jim Hammett with two M's and two T's. Uh, it's going to be another busy week. I think, it, you know, pretty soon we're going to have to do our basketball preview. I mean, that's coming up. That's only going in like three weeks. So, uh, whenever the football team wins a game, ends the four game losing streak, it, it's funny how Panther layer pit Twitter, everyone kind of just feels a little bit better. I think Chris Peak pointed out it was 42 days since Pitt last won a game. So every, everyone felt that. So I, I think it was a, just a nice change of pace to wake up on a Monday today and you didn't have to talk about another loss. Yeah, there was certainly, I think for the first couple losses, there was at least, there was anger and you can do something with that. If you're a program, certainly if you're media covering the team, there's, there's a lot that you can still do with that, even when a team loses. And there was still some hope that things might turn around after Cincinnati, after West Virginia, even after North Carolina. It was really after Virginia Tech that all hope was dead. People were just done with football season. It goes into the bye week. People go out and enjoy their weekends without pit football. And I think everyone it was sort of going into that mindset of, okay, pit football is just done this year and, and we don't really care anymore. And then this win really turned it around. And now all of a sudden people are interested. People want to talk about the quarterback, about the defense. They want to see if Pitt can win this upcoming game. So as you said, it's amazing what one win can do. Because I think everyone just, they hit their limit. They hit the wall and what they could handle. And then Pitt gets the victory. And all of a sudden, it's back. And and it wasn't just a victory. It was a big victory against an undefeated 14th ranked team in Louisville. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Again, Jim Hammett of Panther Lair. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks again, Corey. Anytime. Absolutely. So, uh, yes, you can follow us here on Pit Talk Network, wherever you get your podcast, just search for Pit Talk Network and uh, subscribe. You'll get those wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, all of them. You can find Pit Talk Network and you can also follow us on Twitter at Pit Talk Network, on Blue Sky at Pit Talk, basically wherever you can find Pit Talk Network. And uh, tell your friends about the podcast if you enjoy it. We will be back later this week and uh, moving forward next week with another episode of Football Unscripted. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Corey Cohen signing off from the Pit Talk Network.